Why not just teach people for two hours? Then go have them do music, exercise, language, jujitsu, boxing, learn some piano, learn Mandarin Chinese and Hindi. When you're at the events, get phone numbers. Why not just get the phone number? Everybody I ask gives me their phone number. I swear. James Harden came by my house and I was just like, hey, what's your phone number? In case we can catch up. And he's like, oh, here you go. Don't be creepy about it. The follow-up can't be insane. Realize it's a process to become somebody's friend. All right, welcome to my daily podcast, somewhat daily. We're talking about seven steps to being a better business networking, better business networker. Here is number one. Number one. Whatever you think the importance of business networking is, in your brain, 10x it. That's how much more important it is. So step number one is realizing, realize you are underestimating the power of business networking. Say to yourself the old cliche, older, uh, over and over again. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Literally. So just think about this. There's two people in the world trying to make money, trying to live life, live a badass life, enjoy themselves. Person number one, I'll call Bob, and we'll say Bob versus Susie, not to bring gender into it, but you know. So let's say Bob goes out there, he reads every book, he gets a PhD in business, um, goes to Harvard, uh, is a rain man genius, and Susie knows everybody. Susie knows everybody. Let me ask you this. If you had to bet all your life savings on one person doing better in their career and how much money they make in their lifetime, who are you betting? Bob? Bob got a PhD, but he's sat inside his whole life. He's hardly gone out and met people. He's accumulated a tremendous amount of knowledge. He knows stuff. Who would you bet on? Now, I'm going to tell you the answer. It's a, kind of a trick question because both of them can do very well. Make no mistake. Bob can make a ton of money because Bob can become a hedge fund trader and create an algorithm that does very short-term trades and he sits in a dark room. You know, if you've ever seen the movie, um, The Big Short, that's what those guys were doing. You know, in The Big Short, the character, uh, who's the main guy? Which actor played him? It was, um, no, not Steve Carell, the one who made the money, the hedge fund guy. It was Steve Carell and... uh, No. Christian Bale. Christian Bale's character, he like basically sat in front of a whole bunch of monitors. He read prospectuses. He read all these complex, um, what they call, you know, these collateralized mortgage obligations, CMOs and all this stuff. And he basically figured out there's going to be a crash. So he bet against the crash and he made a billion dollars. One of my friends is, it was one of the guys who made the money in Big Short, the real life character here in New York. Um, one of my friend's brother made like 400 million bucks. And I forget which character played him in the movie, but these dudes, so it's kind of a trick question because Bob could make a lot of money. But let me throw out the, the, the flip side. Susie has connections. She'll always be employable because people always want to hire people who know other people if not only for the reason to be like, yo, let me bring Susie into the company. She can introduce me to somebody. 
Susie also will have her finger on the pulse of what consumers want. So she'll probably be 10 times better at marketing because you got to understand psychology and persuasion to be good at marketing. So I'd also say Susie's going to be happier. It's been proven over and over by scientists that a sufficient amount of extroversion is needed to be happy. Okay? People are extroverted. And you can, I think you can be too extroverted. You can be too out there. You can be busy networking seven days a week, 365 days, you know, going to bars, clubs, restaurants, dinners. You can do it too much. But in general, you should be slightly a little bit uh, on the extroverted side if happiness is your goal. Like I said, yeah, there's something called ambivert. So some scientists disagree with the concept of ambivert, like the official Myers-Briggs uh, Institute doesn't believe in ambivert. Ambivert means where you're like half extrovert and half in introverts, okay? So I would say that Susie, mm, if I had to bet my life savings, I'd bet that it's a better chance that Susie makes money than Bob. If Bob makes money, he'll probably make big money because a lot of times, in, I feel like a lot of introverts fail but the ones who succeed, succeed big because they basically sat in a laboratory and they generated some genius idea like Microsoft and they came up. But if you take Bill Gates, the richest man in the world, it's not just what Bill Gates knew. He connected himself to Paul Allen. He connected himself to, uh, well, 100,000 employees ran Microsoft for him. He also connected himself to Steve Ballmer. Okay. Now, if you take Steve Jobs, had people problems. He wasn't good with people. He was not good at business networking. And even though Apple has now become the largest company in the world after his death, it was not the number one company in the world when he was alive. And he was thrown out of his own company and lost 10 years. And then he got cancer, and like pancreatic cancer, and died. So he didn't even get to enjoy it. And I have to think to myself, Man, if, if Steve Jobs' business networking skills would have been better, I'm not going to say he would have been richer because he was already as rich as you possibly really can be, but I think he would have been happier. And who knows the effect that stress has on things like cancer. A lot of it's genetic, but some of it's certainly environmental. So if you isolate yourself too much, some of you are entrepreneurs listening to my podcast. I'm telling you, you're in the damn house too much. I meet entrepreneurs, they launch a new business and they're like, Ty, I am grinding on my business. Well, okay, but sometimes the business will grind back on you. Sometimes the economy doesn't care if you're putting in 16 hours. You think the economy cares? Think people automatically buy your product because they read a little biography of you and go, oh, here's somebody working hard. Forget that, everybody's working hard. The pizza delivery guy is probably working three jobs to support his family. The single mom working customer service, babysitting, this and that, she's working hard. Nobody rewards your efforts. They only reward what you do for them in terms of the value you bring to them. So when you business network, and that's why I said step number one is you have to you realize you're underestimating the value of what I'm talking about today. Okay? So that was step number one. Step number two to be a better business networker, I was talking about this a little earlier on my last podcast episode. If you suck at it, attach yourself to one friend, family member, acquaintance, 
who's extremely extroverted, bring them to every party. In dating, they call this what? Your wingman or your wingwoman. People forget to apply that to business. I got a guy, James Swanick. I try whenever I can. I bring him to every event. I just went to this. Somebody had asked about Rihanna because they saw it on my Instagram and Snapchat. I went to Rihanna's dinner. I, I've been going once a year. She has a dinner called the Diamond Ball. That's why I'm out here in Manhattan. I got a place in Soho, but I also went, came out specifically because I want to be here. And it's every power play. If you want to be in the music industry, that's the event you want to go to. Heads of studios are there. Like I said, I was sitting with Future and Calvin Harris and um, Young Thug and DiCaprio. It was like, if you want to be able to name drop in life, it, it, forget name dropping. Like if you just want to meet everybody, they're all there. And I went there specifically knowing as an entrepreneur, it's part of my job to be a business networker. I see it as part of my job. So like some entrepreneurs see it as optional. I don't. I'm like, that's part of the game. If you want to make money, you're going to have to learn to network. And if you don't think that's fair and you think that's evil, well, you can be the first person to get on Elon Musk's uh spaceship and move to Mars. Maybe it works different on Mars. But as far as I know, planet Earth, this is just the rule like gravity when you were born. You have to make connections to other humans, even if you're an introvert, even if you don't like it. Okay. So I'm at this dinner and, and a guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, I follow your social media. And I, me and my friend, he was with a friend we live out in Beverly Hills some of the time. We've heard you throw parties. Maybe we'll connect one time. So we just started talking. And it turned out this guy uh, and his friend, the friend had started Poker Stars. Now, if you guys know the story of Poker Stars, Poker Stars, his cut when it was sold was $4.1 billion. He's the, one of the youngest billionaires in the world. Not bad. Is that bad? How would you like that? You make $4.1 billion. He was a hitchhiker. He was traveling across the world. And he came up with an idea. Oh, I'm going to start a business online where people can gamble online. He was in Costa Rica. Boom. Bill, he made $4.1 billion. And we just started talking. And now at the end, I was like, I always say, and this is step number three, practical tip for business networking. Get phone numbers. Don't get emails. This is not 2001. I mean, so many business networkers, I'm like, what planet are you on? And don't even, Instagram handles can be good if you want a direct message, but why would you want a direct message? 98% of text that are sent to people from your phone will be read. Instagram direct messages get filtered by Instagram. Um, about 80% of emails go into spam or junk or they're just ignored. So step number three so step number one is in your mind, realize you're underestimating the power of business networking and what it'll do for you. Step number two is find, if you're not that good at it, find a very extroverted friend to be your wingman or wingwoman. Step number three, when you're at the events, get phone numbers. And a lot of people are like, well, why not just get the phone number? Everybody I ask gives me their phone number. I swear. James Harden came by my house. You, a lot of people saw that on my Instagram and Snapchat. And I was just like, hey, what's your phone number? In case we can catch up. And he's like, oh, here you go. 
JaVale McGee. So five of the Golden State Warriors were there. JaVale was there. It was funny. He's like, hey, man, I've seen your house in your YouTube <laughs> videos. And so he's like, I want a picture here. So we took a picture. And then before he walked off, I was like, yo, what's your phone number? And he's like, sure. And he texted me. And we texted the next day. And then don't be creepy about it. That's, so let me give you a little tip. I'm going to give this is step number four. The follow-up can't be insane, okay? Because I've given out my, I still give out my phone number. I give my, and some of the follow-up is insane. Realize it's a process to become somebody's friend, okay? So step number four is don't be crazy about it once you get that phone number. You start giving people's phone number and texting them. Like I text James Harden once, I don't know if I've even texted him back. I think I texted him. He texted me back and I texted him once and that's it. Leave it alone. The goal is not to make a relationship that you use immediately. Why do you need it immediately? What is going on? Build it. Now you can stay in touch. I would say you basically, and this is step number five. Okay, so step number four is don't go crazy. Start texting. Step number five is follow the reciprocation rule. So when you're business networking, you're following what I'm saying, you go out with a wingman, wingwoman to help you at business events. You get phone numbers. Once you strike up conversation, hey, let's stay in touch. Remember, it's not dating, but it's similar to dating, but it's just nothing to do with romance or sex. You're just business. Then step number four, don't be a kook and text people every day and when they don't reply. And if you want to know how to do that correctly, step number five, if you study game theory. There's a lot of research done by top mathematicians, supercomputers. There's a great book called The Art of Strategy, which will introduce you if you want to pick up a great book, The Art of Strategy. I've been reading it. It's a fascinating book um, on a way to understand what game theory means in the real world. So what you do is you reciprocate. So step number five is the business networking reciprocation tool. If somebody texts you back real fast, then you can text them back fast. If you text somebody that you meet at a business event and they don't text you back for two days, don't be texting them back in two minutes. Reciprocation means you do the similar thing. Some people call it mirroring. If you've ever seen The Office, you ever seen that Office episode where Andy Bernard comes in? He joins The Office, you know, and he's like, you watch, they like interview him on the outside and he's like, in two weeks, I will be promoted the most popular person. I will be using the clever art of, of, I think he said handshakes and mirroring. So he goes into the office and he's like, he meets Dwight Schrute and neither one will let go when they're handshaking. They're doing these like power handshakes and they're both like waiting for the other. That's all BS. And the mirroring thing, whatever um, Michael Scott said, to uh, Andy Bernard, he was like, good day to you. And Andy Bernard's like, well, good day to you, sir. He was trying to use this technique that you hear talked about, which is mirroring. If somebody's slouching over, you slouch over. If somebody's like, oh, hey, how you doing? No, no, no. And then you talk with high energy. If someone's making a lot of jokes, you make, and there's some truth to that. I question it a little bit because in my experience, a lot of times opposites attract. So like an extra, if you meet an extroverted person who's all hyped up and you start mirroring it, all of a sudden they're like, holy crap, I already got enough energy. I don't want to ever be around this person. 
And so I, I think that like the mirroring thing is overplayed in the world. It's good in spots. You know, no piece of advice applies to everything you do. But I'll tell you where mirroring works very well is knowing how often you should text somebody back that you just met at an event. So if they ain't texting you every five, if they take five hours, do not be texting them back five seconds after they text you. Now, some people will be like, isn't this game playing? It's not game playing. You're, the way I look at it, you're speaking their language. You see, their language is a language of, I don't like to be pressured. It's just like the difference between speaking English and Mandarin Chinese. You got to respect the fact that they speak Mandarin Chinese. And so you can't just go, well, this is my world. It's all about me. I like to be texted back instantly. You know, they ain't texting me back instantly. Now, I don't think you have to do a literal crazy game of reciprocation, like time how long. Oh, okay. They took 17 minutes to write me back. I'm going to wait 17 minutes to write them back. It's not, if you do that and they catch on, they're going to think you're even weirder. If they think that you are um, timing, <laughs> if you're timing the freaking, uh, their text and instantly texting back at the same time frame. Hey, let me airdrop these to you real quick. So I think what a better methodology is the general gist of the thing. If they're generally taking a few hours to text you back, wait a few hours. But I will tell you, as part of the reciprocation, okay, and this is step number six if you're writing this down, my stepdad used to tell me, and this applies to all you musicians out there, leave them hungry. Leave them hungry. And I'll tell you this story. So my stepdad, my mom got married. My, my, I was born to a single mom. My dad was in prison. Um, so she was still married to him when, when she was, I was born, but he was locked up in Terminal Island in Long Beach, California. So I'm born in Long Beach, California. Then at, when I'm around eight, eight years old, she gets remarried to my stepdad, who's this really tall, big dude. He's like six foot seven, 280 pound, big Italian guy. And um, he played the, he was super extroverted. He played the guitar. I uh, played the banjo. He played the harmonica. And one of the things, you know, I had a mixed childhood in the sense that some of it was not good, but some of it was good. And there's some good things that I learned um, from growing up. And one of them is keep them hungry. So principle number six, keep them hungry. And this is what it means. When he would pull out the guitar at a party, he used to tell me, Ty, you ever been to a party where someone starts playing music and... They play like a little bit too long. Like the first song, everybody was excited. Ooh, you're great. And then the second song, you're like, okay, this is okay. And by the third song, you're like, dude, I don't want to hear this person playing the guitar. That happens all the time, especially with performing. I tend to think that, man, what's up with Instagram? It's crashing again. Yeah. I might restart it. It's, all on the it's what? It's, it's on the right internet. Is it just, man, that's weird. Here, let me take a question real quick. I'm going to take a few questions. I don't want to finish that story. Someone said it's that Manhattan internet. <laughs> Ty, the type of guy to prefer Instagram over YouTube. No, Ty's the kind of guy to stream on all of them at once. What you talking about, dude? Ty, do you have books by Eugene Schwartz? You mean Barry Schwartz? 
you changing his name or is that his formal name? My last talk was with a guy named Barry Schwartz. Ty, what do I think? Somebody asked me, what do you think of Dave Ramsey? Yeah, I've read a little bit of his stuff, but I know he gives good advice to a huge audience. I think his audience is mostly like Christians and stuff and families, um, financial advice, you know. So, yeah, good stuff. Man, learn from everybody. Nobody has all the answers, and some people have more than others, but you got to diversify not just your investments, but you also got to diversify who you learn from. So I tell people, you know, some people get too into my stuff, only learning from me. I'm like, well, that's fine. You can do that for a time. But, you but you know, one of the things I teach people is read books. And I didn't write all these books, although I am working on a book. Ty, go right now to tylopez.com slash book if you want to pre-order it. I got it for like seven bucks. It's going to be a lot more expensive once it comes out. So if you pre-order it, you're going to get it basically for nothing. Um, while I wait for re- Instagram... Ty, what's your opinion on Grant Cardone's millionaire booklet? It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I started reading it. I've gotten to know Grant Cardone a little bit. I was on his show when I was in Florida and we texted and I was just texting with him a couple days ago. So I, I peeked through his booklet. It seemed good. I haven't finished it, but it seemed good. Ty only goes live when he's baked. <laughs> I'm not baked, but I was doing Muay Thai kickboxing before this with a guy named Dago who trains professional Muay Thai kickboxers here in Manhattan. So I got sweat in my eye, so it does look... I don't smoke much weed, just so you guys know. Top five books for self-development or entrepreneurs. I got a link on my website if you want to see a good one. Did you get that airdrop, by the way? I got it. Ty, where were you working at 17? I had a job at Office America, horrible job. I would stack like paper on, I would literally almost had like a Dunder Mifflin, <laughs> Dunder Mifflin job. <laughs> Ty, what's more important characteristic trait do you look for in hiring or finding someone? Jared Vincent on Facebook. You know, I just interviewed this Berkeley professor, Barry Schwartz, and he said something great, which was always hire people that have skills you can't teach because all the stuff you can teach, they don't need on day one. I think I feel like that's literally the same with everything, your friendships, your dating. Hire people that, um, oh, damn, this has been ready to go live. Hold on, I'm going to go back live on Instagram. Internet connections, tough world we live in, first world problems. Here we go. Checking for connection. How can musicians best utilize social media? We're having trouble starting your live video. Are you Double check the internet. Did you check we're on the right one? Ty, you are the man. I've learned so much from you. On another person, this is the Ty, You're the Man episode. Should you link your phone number with social media? Were you on the right one? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't necessarily put your phone number on social media. I mean, if you're a dude, if I was a girl, I don't think I'd put my phone number. Most guys don't care if random girls text them, <laughs> but women don't seem to love when guys, especially when guys can be pretty creepy. Oh, okay. All right, we're going to try going to plan B. Always have a plan. Second backup plan here. What's up, Instagram? We're back. I've been given seven ways to be a better business networker. I'm on number five. No, I'm on number six. So I restarted. Here's step number six. The principle, it's called leave them hungry. And this is what my stepdad taught me. He was a musician. He said, you ever at a party? 
somebody pulls out a guitar, you're like, ooh, that's cool. I didn't know they played guitar. And then they play one song and everybody's like, ooh, that was great. And then they're like, all right, let's go to another song. And all of a sudden, the second song, you look around the audience, people are kind of excited and listening, but a few people are walking off, going to get food, going to the bathroom. Then they finish, everybody claps again. Not quite as loud of a clap. Oh, okay. And now they pull out another song, and you're like, oh, hell no. And once in a while, there's someone who sits there, and by the end, there's just a little group. Everyone's left. My stepdad said, do not be that person. And it's the same with business networking. In the first five steps that I talked about, you guys are coming in late on Instagram. You can see the archive. I talk about, you know, the importance of business networking, step number one, being way more important than most people realize. Step number two being bring an extroverted wingman or wingwoman with you if you're not good at it. Don't try to train yourself. Just bring somebody who's already good at it. You don't have to train them. Step number three, I was talking about get the phone number. Don't get their email. Don't get their Twitter handle. You can do that later, but get their phone number. And then I was talking about you need to reciprocate in how you text them, right? So don't be texting them all the time. And then I was talking about this principle of, very important principle of leave them hungry. So in general, when you're texting with a new business networking connection that you made, don't be afraid to let them be the last person to text you. You don't have to reply back to everybody. Just leave it alone. And then the way the human brain works, we're attracted to whatever moves away from us. If you've ever taken two magnets, tried to push them together, what happens? They, they resist. So remember, if you're on a business networking event, other people are there business networking. So if they perceive you as hungry or thirsty, as they would say in the streets, and you push, it's like two magnets, you repel each other, and they'll be like, ah, nobody wants to be around a desperate person, right? So just let, leave them hungry. Leave them wondering why you didn't text them back. Now, I'm not saying you should ghost them or play games. I'm just saying when the conversation naturally ends, don't feel the need to be the last person to text. Okay, great. Just leave it. If you don't have anything important to say, don't fill up their text. Respect their time. You know what I'm saying? Leave them hungry. Very important. I see people and even people with me. You know, uh, sorry, step number four was don't, you know, text them, but don't go crazy. Step number five was reciprocation. Whatever speed they're texting you back at, text them back. Step number six, uh, like I said, was um, leave them hungry. Let the conversation end and don't feel weird by that. So that's the six steps. I'm going to take a few questions. I'm going to give you the, second, the seventh step. I'm getting a ton of questions. Everyone doesn't learn to start a business. Just do it. Trust me and see where the path takes you. Lewis Carmen on Twitter says. John Voci, what network advice to build a security company? If you're trying to build any company, it's basically the same. So, okay, which leads me is a good question, John Voci on Facebook. Here's step number six, seven, okay? I'll give you a few bonus things, uh, steps, but step number seven is this. Know where to go to business networking, okay? And this is a tricky one. And the answer is go to places that are somewhat unexpected, for somebody like you to be going to. For example, I was talking about this Rihanna thing and people go, why'd you go to the Rihanna Diamond Ball, which is mostly music executives and artists, if you're not in the music industry? Well, part of me is because I want to get in the music industry, but 
I like to do what's called cross-pollination. If you look at plants, how do they work? You, you take bees come and they take the pollen and they cross-pollinate from one plant and they fly across the field a mile away and they pollinate something else. That's how you have to think about your business networking. You go to places that are going to take whatever business you're in now and you're going to cross-pollinate it with ideas from other industries. So it's great and you should network in your own industry. There's no problem. I have no problem with that. But in general, um, at least 50% of the events I go to have nothing directly related to what I'm doing today, but I get ideas. And so when you're talking about the right events, like I said, at least 50% of them should be cross-pollinated businesses that are completely different, okay? Um, the other thing is go focus less on what the event is and more on how sharp the people are that are going to be there. So if I had a choice as an entrepreneur and I could go to a, I don't know, I'm not in the uh, what's something business. Um, what do I have in my hand here that I can <laughs> Here, paper. Here's a notepad. I always keep notepads. If I could go to a paper convention like the office with Michael Scott, right? I'm not in the paper business at all. But if I knew the sharpest people in the paper industry were there, I would go. Um, I would go to that paper one over a social media one that's full of stupid people. So if the social media one had smarter people, it's not just smart, like book smart or IQ smart. It's sharp. You need sharp people. So you'll get more out of networking with a sharp person in a different industry than you're in or even ever will be in than you will going around people in your industry who are morons and have no common sense. So if I really think like if the name of the event, I don't care what the name of the event is. I'm going, tell me about the average quality of person that's going to be in that building. And if the average quality is good, I'll go for anything. You know, it's a gold mining convention. Okay, conference, seminar, I'll go. You know, it's somebody developing new HR security or uh, sorry, corporate security software. I don't care. I'm not in that business, but I'll still go there. I'd be like, man, because here's the deal. If you get one tip that you can cross-pollinate into what you're doing, Remember the word game theory. If you go to the same events all your competitors are going to, you're getting the same advice that all your competitors are putting in practice and they're doing it at the same time as you, which necessarily means it won't work as well. One of my big advantages is I go, I, ha, I a lot of times, not always, have been able to stay ahead of my competitors because they're all going to the same events where I'm going to events that are completely different. I cross-pollinate and bring in ideas from other places, and all of a sudden, I come up with an idea, not because I'm so smart, but because I cross-pollinated it, you know? So let's see. Hybrid thinking, someone called it. Lateral thinking, yeah, that's all very, that's a good way. I mean, that's what some people call this, lateral thinking. What advice would you give to, a, to grow a jiu-jitsu school? Cool. I do jiu-jitsu. I've been doing some here in, L, in New York while I'm here at my place in Soho. Um, 
to grow any physical business, like you have a store, you have a restaurant, I'll give you a few pieces of advice, okay? Number one, follow everything else I've been talking about. As you get out to conferences, seminars, um, mixers, charity dinners are great. The Rihanna thing I was at is a charity dinner. As you get out and go to those, all, hey, I, can you ever have a protein shake? That's what I mean. Just a simple one. Um, your jujitsu school is going to grow because you're going to meet somebody who connects you to a, I don't know, a marketing channel that you didn't know about. They might be like, hey, I've been advertising in the newspaper and it's working great for me because believe it or not, old school advertising sometimes works. Sometimes billboard works. Sometimes, um, you know, radio ads work and sometimes they fail. So if you're cross-pollinated ideas, they spent their money learning that radio ads don't work. You don't have to spend your own. So it becomes a propulsion. You, you propel yourself much quicker than if you're doing it by trial and error. Remember this. One of the great books of all time is by a guy named, I interviewed uh, him not too long ago, Richard Dawkins. He was voted at one point the smartest man in the world. And what he says in his book, The Selfish Gene, is that organisms that only learn through trial and error die out. And he's talking about species and evolution. They die out because trial is costly, right? And error is often deadly, you know? Someone said, Ty, Richard Dawkins is kind of stupid. Whoever wrote that, I question your intelligence. Richard Dawkins is not <laughs> stupid. You might not agree with all his theories, but you, you, that's like calling Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, that's like calling the rock weak. You might not like how his body looks, but you wouldn't call him weak, would you? Would that be your first adjective when you met the rock? Oh, this guy's weak. No, you might say, oh, you know, out of the, he's out of proportion or something. But somebody who calls Richard Dawkins dumb, maybe. Maybe you have the eyesight of the person who judged the Canelo fight. For those of you who saw the Canelo Triple G fight on Saturday, <laughs> somebody, <laughs> one of the judges, Bird was her name, she judged that uh, Canelo destroyed Triple G, which is basically impossible. So there's a lot of, you know, people love opinions and they're like, respect opinions. I don't really respect opinions. Like, why should I? Do you respect 9-11 terrorist opinions? Oh, yeah, okay, everybody gets their own opinion. By the way, that this where I live, you can see that right where the 9-11 towers, I'm like a couple blocks from that. So I don't value people's opinion. I value truth. So if someone's opinion is in line with the truth, I do respect and think that people should have the option to have idiotic opinions because sometimes idiotic opinions turn out to not be idiotic, but still doesn't mean that just because you write a comment on here that I'm going to be like, ooh. Nah. Someone said, I always thought you were in Cali. I am in Cali, but I move around. I have a place in LA. I got a place in San Diego. I got a place in New York City. I got a farm in Virginia. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so back to business networking. Any questions on that? I was telling you for the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The other thing for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's important that you, 
this is so obvious that nobody does it. Oftentimes in business, you guys are going to laugh. The stuff that works is so obvious, no one will do it. It's like I said, the death of common sense. Common sense is dead in the modern world. So one of the things, if you do martial arts schools and you're marketing them, post Bruce Lee-like clips. Like people will post boring stuff. You're punching people. Do your craziest thing on another teacher there. Like, you know, do a, throw them across the room, do a flying arm bar, do a helicopter arm bar, and put that on social media. That's how you market it. A lot of people just put in generic pictures. By the way, the future of marketing is videos, not pictures. Pictures will always have a place, but the, in the long run, they will always be bit, beaten by videos. Videos work more in line with the human brain. Did you grow up, did you think your eyeballs take still pictures or video images? Yes, they take video. So whatever mimics the natural habitat, I mean the natural inclinations of your brain, the natural neural pathways is gonna do the best. So get some good video. Ty, by the way, your location on, I would turn it off if you're in Manhattan. Yeah, I don't think that map will actually show you where I am. But you can drive around New York if you wanna find me. It'll be kind of rough <laughs> within a one-mile radius of where I am or even within 500 feet. You're going to have a hard time. Ty, you look like a young Lionel Richie. Uh, Lionel Richie? Do you, do you know what Lionel Richie looks like? <laughs> I don't think I look like Lionel Richie. But I'll tell you this. Lionel Richie is one of the best singers of all time, man. A lot of people only know him because of Nicole Richie, his adopted daughter. But, man, go listen to that old school. Lionel Richie is one of the best singers. And he just had a great voice, man. Um, hello, is it me you're looking for? Yep. <laughs> Does this, your social media secrets help with video marketing? Yes. I have a program open. Now I closed it social media secrets and I was showing people all kinds of secrets marketing equipment man I'm doing all this right here reaching so many people every month just with a couple iPhones I have four or five iPhones all right okay so let's go back to business networking any questions specifically on that I answered one for a Brazilian jiu-jitsu person someone wants me to talk about raising venture capital how can your program help real estate agents okay Rod Watson three Here's the deal. Let's talk. I'm going to stay on target here. We're talking about business networking. If you're in the real estate game, whether it's as a realtor, as an investor, you want to start in real estate. Don't just go to real estate meetings. At least 50% of the business networking events, the charity dinners, the conferences, the seminars, the local events in your town should not be real estate ones because then there's no cross-pollination. You know what incestuous thinking is? Incestuous thinking is like all people in the same group thinking the same thoughts and talking to each other and networking with each other. You don't want that. So at least, you know how like in marriage, you don't marry your first cousin? She's too related to you. <laughs> That's a good way to think about it. So for the person who asked here, I forgot your name, on, in real estate, as an agent, you're pro, you need to network more. Because again, as a real, real estate agent, guess what? If you hang out with too many events with other real estate um, investors, if you're an investor, or agents, if you're an agent, then who's the buyers? You need buyers. 
So when I'm when I'm out networking, I'm if I I'm not a real estate agent, but if I was, I'd spend a minimum amount of time around people in my industry. Like that would not be great. Cyber says I want to be a real estate investor. I'm opening up my, the real estate course I did with a guy named Cole Hatter. Um soon. Watch on my website. Who is the most intimidating, successful person you've ever met? Luigi underscore HDZZ on Instagram. Most intimidating. I mean, I've had some very interesting conversations with Elon Musk. He's a pretty baller guy. Uh, Rihanna is a great... I mean, Rihanna is... I don't know if Rihanna is the most popular person in the world. By the way, at that dinner on Saturday... or What day was that? Was that Saturday? I think it was Saturday or Friday. Or Thursday. Jeez, I don't remember. Time flies. Someone said Pablo Escobar is behind you. Yeah. Um, Beyonce showed up. I'd say the two most popular people in the world, not just by like Instagram followers, but like people actually love them. Rihanna is one of the most popular people in the world. Like you never really hear people hate on Rihanna. The Kardashians have a lot of numbers, but half the world loves them and half the world is mad at them. So... Rihanna can be an intimidating person because everybody wants, I mean, at this diamond ball dinner, I felt like she was the queen and people were showing up just to kiss the ring. It was like Beyonce showed up, Jay-Z showed up, Dave Chappelle was there, Kendrick was there, they're all there wanting, uh, Trevor Noah was there, Future, DiCaprio. So, but here's the deal, why I don't get really that intimidated and why you shouldn't get intimidated in a business networking sec, uh, session or, or you know environment is that at the end of the day, there's an old saying, everybody puts on their pants one leg at a time. Like people are much, and, and I've actually found that the most successful people are much easier to talk to. The, the crappy people that you can't learn it. Anybody who's hard to talk to is probably not worth talking to. You know, when I meet people, I had dinner with Steve Ballmer. He's worth $32.5 billion today or last time I checked. He's easier to talk to than some of the idiotic entrepreneurs, cocky people that I meet at conferences. Literally, it's so funny. It just cracks me up. I'm like, uh... Somebody said, bit of name dropping. No, I was asked a question, most intimidating person. So who do you think I'm going to say? John Smith? <laughs> Why would that be intimidating? Intimidating. By the way, let's talk about name dropping for a second. Because I feel like we live in a world that's overly butthurt by all things. And one of the things that you should know, and I posted this as a tweet recently. If you're not following me on Twitter, you should. I, I post some things that I only post on Twitter. Jealousy is often hidden, okay? Jealousy is often hidden in criticism. So when people criticize you, like, oh, you're name dropping, they're not mad at you for name dropping. They're butthurt that they didn't meet those people, almost always. So you don't want to be a name dropper in a weird way, but there's times that you need to say, for example, this person taught me something and you need to say their name because the human brain operates across a spectrum of cognitive biases. One of them is the authority bias. One of them, another one's called dissociation bias. And these things, like in, there's a reason that Coca-Cola pays celebrities 
to hold their Coca-Cola and to be able to say, oh, LeBron, McDonald's says, oh, LeBron James eats our food, you know, at the Olympics. That's name dropping, but they are smart and they build a 30, 25 to 30, I think McDonald's is doing about 25 to $30 billion a year. That's name dropping. Like that's fucking name dropping. So whenever you meet somebody who's like, I like to do things that I know kind of piss people off. Why? Because it only pisses off the bad people. So it becomes what I call smoking out the haters. It becomes a filtration system of absolute morons. Like you should post a little bit, not too much of bragging stuff on your Facebook because all your real friends will be like, damn, that's pretty badass. And all your fake friends, and some of them are family, by the way, some of them you're dating or married to, they'll be all butthurt because jealousy is hidden in their criticism. They're not criticizing. And it's a great test. So like on social media, I love when I see a negative comment because then I know you can either block them or you can destroy them. Those are the two things that you can do. And sometimes you got to mix it up. If you read The Art of War, Sun Tzu, written thousands of years ago, your strategy must never be predictable. So I don't always respond to haters. But if you never respond to haters, then guess what? You're predictable. When people are adversarial towards you, why would you be predictable? You think that's a good strategy? You think, you know why Conor McGregor is such a great MMA fighter and, a, and he's a pretty badass boxer too? Because he's very unpredictable. First time I ever saw um, him fight really was he fought a guy from Brazil. I think his first name is Jose Aldo. And he knocked Aldo out and it's just really quick. And because he punches in very unorthodox ways, weird uppercuts, he does these really bizarre things. And he's very unpredictable. And he grew from being a nobody or in terms of being known to like 15 million Instagram followers. And now he has over a hundred million dollars. I think he made on the last fight, something like that. And so that ability for you to not be afraid to be unpredictable in how you handle people. Someone said, Ty, debate another hater, Steven De La Huerta. I did. I tried. A guy was, was being an idiot on my Twitter today. And I literally was like, hey, you want to do a live? Let's go live right now. And he goes, no, I need one week. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you need a week? Because he, he, the guy was like, is what you're doing a pyramid scheme? I'm like, first of all, and this guy is literally a lawyer. This makes me depressed that he graduated as a lawyer. I'm going, do you know what a pyramid scheme is? How could I have a pyramid scheme? Just so you guys know, a pyramid scheme is where you get other, you sell something to other people, but they sell it to someone else, at least two people under them. You can Google it. It's the Miriam Webster definition of it. I don't have an MLM. I'm not in network marketing. I, I don't have a pyramid scheme. You might not like my stuff, but so I finally got him to admit he was wrong. He's like, but blah, blah, blah. I was like, finally, this dude's honest. But when I said, let's go live, he's like, no, I need a week. And he's like, I'm not going to help you get publicity. I'm like, bitch, you ain't going to help me. I might help you. <laughs> he had 40 followers on Twitter. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm like, how are you going to help me? You're going to bring your 40 followers to the debate? Oh, thank you for your contribution. So it was hilarious. Someone said, Ty, don't be mean. No, 
Don't be predictable is what you mean to say. Sometimes I'm very nice and sometimes I'm not. Why do I have to be nice to people who ain't nice to me? Where, what book are you reading? I'm not Jesus Christ. I don't hold myself up as a saint either. You know? Why, why do I have to? Predictability is sometimes be nice, sometimes be mean to people. I believe you should have a varied strategy to life. When people are assholes to you and your family, sometimes you should forgive them and sometimes you should lay the hammer down. If you are predictable, mark my words, and I'm telling you this, I didn't grow up with my dad. I, I think I would have learned a lot of this from my dad. And so a lot of these things about conflict, because your life will have tremendous amount of conflict in it. I promise you. Conflict resolution is extremely powerful. You must become a master of dealing with conflict. I'm reading a new textbook put out by Dr. David Buss. It's the, one of the newest ones on psychology. It's a badass book. And one of the big part is stress reaction. And what it most stresses us out, it's conflict. It's your asshole boss, neighbor, <laughs> family member, uh, acquaintance that you thought was your best friend but wasn't. And so to understand the relationship between you and conflict and you and people that want to exploit you is one you must become sophisticated at. And a lot of people are going to give you unsophisticated answers like, oh, always be nice or always be mean or it's not that way. Ty, speaking of books, what's your take on The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss? Good book. I read it years ago. I'm not sure if there's an updated version. A lot of the, you know, the book was, I think, written, I'm going to guess, 10 years ago. A lot of that stuff, you know, it talks about using virtual logins to your home desktop. Like, it was before the cloud was written. But I think the general principles, I think Tim Ferriss is a very smart guy. I don't agree with all of his stuff, but... I don't look for people that I agree with all this stuff, you know? Someone said, Ty, Gary V, what do you think of him? Same thing. Smart guy. Um, built business empire. I, he was over at the house. We interviewed each other. I interviewed him. Um, again, just like Tim Ferriss, just like everybody I've ever met, I agree with some stuff and we agree to disagree, you know? So everybody got a different emphasis. Like Tim Ferriss's emphasis is life hacks okay and of course he is more expansive than that that's not like all that he does right like tim ferris talks about a lot of life hacks like that's the whole point of the four-hour work week or the four-hour body like you can just lift you know four-hour bodies like you can lift a um kettlebell and not have to work out and that's you know it's like and for people that want to just be in like moderately good shape that's going to work. I don't think you become a top performing athlete. And I don't think Tim Ferriss is trying to say that. So I think that there's an emphasis different. Um, Gary V very much emphasizes like the role of hard work, um, which just like with Tim Ferriss, I agree and disagree. So I agree. Uh, basically the way science shows is that hard work is about 20% of the equation of success. There's five factors. There's a, there's a personality inventory called Hexaco consisting of 25 sub facets of your personality. One of them is called conscientiousness. It's been proven over and over, and it's really the only scientifically proven personality aspect, uh, personality trait related to success. It's called conscientiousness, and it's really four factors. So you could say uh, diligence, otherwise known as hard work, was 25%. 
So 20, 25% is hard work. And Gary Vee talks a lot about that 25%. But there's other three other aspects. One of them is prudence, which is basically street smarts and also ability to make good decisions and be smart. There's also organization, which is the ability to take chaotic things. And that's a different skill. That's not hard work. So a completely different part of the brain. And then there's another uh, skill called um, uh, perfectionism, which is being very good at double and triple checking your work. And that's another trait. So Gary Vee has his emphasis and sometimes we disagree on what should be emphasized, but you know, everybody in the game basically at the same, on the same side, it's, there's no, people like to create drama and go, oh, do you, this person, that. It's just like in music, people trying to, and Grant Cardone has his own angle, you know? Grant Cardone is a very, I mean, obviously he's very much into sales and very much into real estate. Um, so like I said, you, this is why you diversify how you learn. You learn different things from different people. My emphasis is like very, my emphasis is about life. And I think life is a broad spectrum thing that's very easy to misunderstand. And I don't think that, um, I'm very much into learning from experts. That's a little different. And you can judge what you think works best. You know, it depends how you measure it. Some people, everybody thinks their way works better, but people lie, but numbers don't. That's what I often say, you know? So Tim Ferriss, Gary Vee, they've been in the game a lot longer. I, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, probably as long or longer than them, maybe not as long as Gary Vee's older than me, but... Um, but I've been in the game a long time, but I wasn't public doing social media or public facing. I wasn't doing traditional entrepreneurship where you're kind of behind the scenes. <clears throat> and so I've kind of popped on the scene very quickly in the last couple of years. That pisses some people off, blah, 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 you know. But um, I got my emphasis. I mean, everybody thinks there's the best. I think logically... Mine's the most superior, not because I'm superior at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Mine's superior because I try to not emphasize me. I try to be like, you want to learn about decision-making? Don't listen to Gary Vee, Ty Lopez, Grant Cardone, or Tim Ferriss. We didn't spend our life studying decision-making. Let's talk to Barry Schwartz, who I just had on my podcast, who I just had here, who I recommend you read his book, Paradox of Choice. I don't say, hey, listen to my take on psychology listen to Tony Robbins take on, no, forget that. I studied Dr. David Buss, who wrote the textbook and spent 40 years studying evolutionary psychology and taught at Harvard and conducted personally, literally most, or was involved in most of the research that's being used in the modern world. Like, so he's got hands-on in the laboratory. So I think my approach, and that's why it's my approach, is one that's the most logical to me. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you don't, that doesn't mean that you don't learn from everybody. So, you know, what Abraham Lincoln said, some, you should learn from everybody. Sometimes it's what not to do. Somebody said, do you like Tony Robbins? I love Tony Robbins. Do I agree with every part of Tony Robbins? No, and I don't want to. I wouldn't want to live in a world where I agree. Tony Robbins has his emphasis. Tony Robbins' emphasis is very much about state of mind. You know, I mean, he has many things he teaches, but if you, if you were to con congeal it down to like one core teaching, it's like change your physiology, change how you feel, change how you act and things like that. And 
I think that, you know, that's like a great, I think that's fine. And, but do I think it's a complete system? No. And I think Tony, Tony Robbins knows that and Gary Vee knows that and I know that and Grant Cardone and all these people that people look. The other thing is one slight difference for the most part from all of these. I, even though this sounds weird for me to say, I don't necessarily see me myself as a motivational speaker. I don't want to be known as a motivational speaker. I don't even see myself as an entrepreneur as like what I want to be remembered for. You know, I always say on my tombstone, I call this the, the, you know, the tombstone test. When you die, what do you want written on your grave about you? In your like ideal world, what do you want written about you? I don't want entrepreneur written. I definitely don't want motivational speaker. Um, why? You know, I don't know. Why would I want it? What's, that's not my thing. So, Tony Robbins will have motivational speaker and all this, and that's great. That's what he wants. That's his vision. That's his. What I want is like, he was an adventurous, mad scientist who lived a badass life. That's what I care about. And badass, by my definition, and a lot of people share my definition, you know, I'm very much, I'd say, adventurous. So like some of these guys, we live completely different lifestyles. You know, I'm obviously, I'm single, so I'm gonna have more girls around. Grant Cardone's married, Gary Vee's married, Tony Robbins is married, Tim Ferriss I don't think's married. Um, so I'm going to talk about women. And some people are going to get pissed off. I'm going to have pretty – I'm basically almost like my life is like a 24-hour – not quite 24-hour, but let's say a 24-hour reality show where I just show the camera. And some people are like, wait a sec, Ty, why are you showing yourself salsa dancing? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's all part of my plan, which is live a badass life and share what I'm doing and if that gives other people ideas, then they go with it, you know, but that's what I want to be remembered for. And I think you got to think about that for yourself. Like what, do you want to say you are a great father, or a great mother, or you want that to be your main thing? Then go out and have a lot of, get married young and have a lot of damn kids. One of my friends, Joe, uh, Joe Pace, we've been friends since I was like two years old. He got, we went two different paths and I don't think my past better than him. And I don't think his past better than me. They're different. They're one of the greatest things of all times is there's no solution. There's only the trade-offs. So he got married literally to basically his first girlfriend. He got married at, I don't know, 20. He had four kids by the time he was like 26. And I got none. And that was like his goal. He wanted to do that. So he's winning. And that wasn't part of my plan. I didn't want to have four kids by the time I was 26. So I got different goals. So you, that's why I said, think of your tombstone. You know, I told you I'd give you a few bonus things. We talked about the seven things you need to know to be a better business networker. And now I'm talking about like what some other things unrelated to business networking. It's all kind of related, but what do you want on that grave of yours? Because we all headed there quicker than you can think. And most and not everybody's living to 100 years old. Not everybody's living to 50. Some people, guarantee you, some people will be off this planet, maybe me, the next time I do this live call. You know, so you have to, as I think it was Thoreau or Emerson said, you got to suck the marrow out of life. You know, like when you're eating like good chicken or good steak, sometimes you bite down on a bone and you get like every little piece of meat off of it. You're like, yes. You know, 
Someone said, how about Dan Bilzerian lifestyle? You know, Dan was over at the house. Dan Bilzerian got his goals and he's definitely pulling off his goals. You know, Dan Bilzerian likes action. He's an action guy. He likes poker. He likes women, obviously. He, he um, and so I, who am I to judge his thing? My main question is, as long as you, whether you're Dan Bilzerian, me or anyone else, are moving towards the goal you would like to have, and that goal makes sense, there's like common sense, it's not idiotic, then I'm like, great. You know, I think that that's fine. So I don't, I don't know him that well. I've met him. He's been at the house for a few hours. Uh, but I don't, you know, he's certainly good at social media and he's got a good team behind him. I know some of the guys that have worked with him. And so, you know, he got a different life than me. So I can't live that life like, his dad was very successful. Now, that I, when I say that about people, I don't think that takes away from what Dan Bilzerian's done. Just because you, um, let's say, inherit money from your father, like the Trump, Eric Trump, or, or Dan Bilzerian, to me, that does, or even Donald Trump and President Trump inherited mother, I don't think that that means there's something wrong. It's just, if you guys saw what, uh, what's his name? Um, Will, not Will Ferrell. What's the guy that was, what's the funny guy that just went crazy on Twitter? In Mask. He's in that movie. Jim Carrey. If you saw him, he, he was here at Fashion Week. And Jim Carrey's like super smart guy and he just went off the rails. He was like, life is meaningless and we're all a bunch of tetrahedron, you know, atoms just floating through the planet and nothing matters. And there's some truth to that. I, I tweeted like, Nothing matters and everything matters at the same time. So when I say Donald Trump inherited his money or bill, it doesn't mean that it's better or worse, but it's different. And my life, I, I um, lived a different life. Now, Dan Bilzerian and Donald Trump and all these people who have inherited money doesn't mean they were going to be successful. They still had to be smart and they've been smart and they built on what their parents and all of us, you know, like I was born healthy. That's kind of like genetic biological wealth that I was handed on. I guarantee just the fact that you're on a planet, you kind of inherited something. So I don't look at people and go, oh, because they inherit money. I judge everybody on a level playing field. Are you a moron or not? <laughs> you know, I'm not a racist. I'm not a sexist. I'm basically like, I discriminate around your brain. Not that you have to be Stephen Hawking, because I'm not Stephen Hawking, but are you an idiot? Do you lack all common sense? You know, we all know what that means. Somebody's like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, if you don't know what I mean, then you are that person. You are the idiot. If you're like, what do you mean by an idiot? And I'm like, everybody's different. No, we all know. It's kind of like the Supreme Court justice was asked about pornography. How do you define it? How do you know it's not just art? You know, how do you know it's not just a painting, a Michelangelo a sculpture where somebody's naked and the Supreme Court judge said something very intelligent. They said, the definition of porn is this. You'll recognize it when you see it, right? Like you just, no, there's no conversation. Nobody ever saw a, a Michelangelo statue of David where he's naked and go, porn. Like nobody's that, if you're that dumb, you're dumb. But at the same time, Somebody on Pornhub isn't going to be like, oh, this is art. Look at this art. You know, I mean, it less, that's what I'm saying. So 
when it comes to who I discriminate against, it's like, are you, will I recognize you instantly as like, why are you here? You know, if it's like at my party, like why, who let you in? If your first inclination when you meet somebody is like, how did you get in to my life? Then I don't like you. So when it comes to Dan Bazarian, Donald Trump, anybody who inherited their money, people were asking me about, I don't care about that. That was out of their control. What did they do with it since they started? You know what I'm saying? And Dan Bilzerian had built an empire on a foundation that he got. Like I said, everybody's different. Same with Gary Vee. I think I'm right on this. I don't know exact story, but Gary Vee's father, you know, came to America, was a very successful um, immigrant. And I don't want to speak too much because I don't know the exact story, but he um, built a wine business, but it wasn't that successful. And then Gary took it, his son, and made it super successful. And I think now it's Gary and his brother. So they built off that foundation. So that's awesome. So you can't fault them for, you can't, because sometimes people say, well, that person inherited something. Well, you can't just discount, discount that. But I will tell you this, I didn't have that exact opportunity because my dad was in prison. My mom was a single mom. She didn't know about business and she couldn't help me. So I really didn't have any entrepreneurs at all in my family. My grandma was kind of successful a little bit. She was good at saving money. So she saved up. And then when there was the rise in the economy and real estate, 2007, she did the best. But no one, she wasn't really an entrepreneur. My grandma was actually a German teacher, professor, because she came from Germany. And everyone else in my family was, there was one person in my family who ever made 100 grand a year, one year. And it was my, my uncle, Bill, who was a lawyer. I mean, nah, not a lawyer. He was a uh, car salesman. And I think maybe one of my other uncles was a lawyer. But I didn't have anybody to really guide me. So I had to go outside the family. You know what I'm saying? So you, you got to look at your situation. That's why I say business networking is so important. Because you begin to meet people, right? And as you meet people, all of a sudden, you take away, oh, okay, their situation was different than me, but here's something I can apply to my life. I'm like a gold, I'm like literally like a gold miner going around, taking jewels, taking chunks of gold, little bit at a time out of different mines around the world. And that's how you got to think about it. And hopefully you're on this podcast and you get one gold piece of gold or the one before I just did with Barry Schwartz, you know? Jim Soroka said, Ty, you changed my life. Well, thanks. You probably trade your own life, but thank you. My, Michael Yagaluf said, speaking truth, Ty. Someone said their parents haven't spoken to them for a long time. Tasha said, Ty, how did you end up living with the Amish? I told you, on my gravestone, I want it to be Ty's an adventurer. And it's funny, a lot of people think, Ty, like, oh, you're materialistic. I'm like, you have to look at my overall life. I haven't optimized for material stuff. I, with the one exception, I do like cars. I've always liked cars from a little baby. I feel like it's like something I was born with because um, my grandma said it started at like one years old. And I, so that you could call that a materialistic thing. I admit it. I don't care. You know, I had a, <laughs> took a plane. Oh, Oh, damn, YouTube comments come fast. 
<sighs> oh, so a couple things. Depending on when you're listening to this, those of you live, this is for now. But I got something I'm coming out with. By the time you listen to the podcast, it might be out. You know, I built the 67 Steps, ran that, let people join that program for about two years. I'm still going to keep it a little bit, but I'm kind of retiring it because I've got new stuff, uh, which is updated. It's basically foundations of wealth. And I'm going to do it insanely cheap. Like some of my stuff's like $10,000 and different stuff like that. But I want to create something that will help. Like, I, it's funny. My audience is like the common man and the common woman. Obviously, I get celebrities and things and billionaires that follow my stuff. But at the core of it, like when I walk down the street in New York City, it's like, the, every time I go to an event, like the diamond ball, it's like the bouncers, the valets, the waiters, they are coming up to me. And part of that is because people are cocky, <laughs> like high level people don't always like to admit that they already know you, you know, but um, so I want to create a course that's l such a low price so that basically everybody can get in. Now, I'm going to teach you what I think. I think there's 12 foundations of wealth, 12. Now, there's obviously more. Okay, but I'm trying to, look, the whole point of a book is like get to the point. So I'm trying to get to the point. I think there's 12 principles of success, literally. I'm sorry, specifically around financial wealth. My 67 steps was like around life. There's like 67 things I needed to know about life that my mentors taught me. But with the 12 foundational things, the 12 foundations, that's what you need to know about money. So there's basically, for example, you need to understand, and this is also updated for the most cutting edge for the year we live in. Not for, you know, I built the 67 steps in 2014 and that's good. But what works in 2014 is not always relevant for 2017 or it won't be relevant for 18 or 19. You have to update it. It's just like iPhones. We're not still rocking the iPhone 4. Hopefully some people are. But the foundations, for example, you need to understand the psychology of people, reading people. There's a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that was written by Dale Carnegie a long time ago. I think the updated one, because the world is much more complicated, there's much more insane people in the world, I'm fairly sure. Well, I know for a fact, because there's more people. So numerically, the ratio, even if it stays the same, of how many crazy people there are in the world, there's a lot more. If 1% of people are crazy, in the year 1900, there was about a billion people on the planet. So you'd have roughly 10 million crazy people. Now we have 7.3, so there's, all, there's about 70 million insane people. And I'm not talking about mental illness, like people that you should feel sorry for, but I'm talking about psychos. So this new program is gonna teach you fundamentals, and I'm sorry, foundational principles. So you need to be able to repeat. So it's six of the mindset principles of wealth and six practical ones. So practical ones, I want to teach you e-commerce. I want to teach you tech. I want to teach you social media. I want to teach you marketing, uh, the marketing sales persuasion side, entrepreneurship, which to me is how to launch ideas quickly. Okay. So there's about six practical things that you must master these foundations, or there's really no hope for you. I don't care if you go to college. I've taught at Harvard number one business school in the world. I've taught at London Business School, number two business school in the world. I've taught at UCLA, I'm not UCLA, sorry, USC, 
These are top, top schools. I've seen what, and there's a lot of good stuff at colleges. Don't get me wrong, but they're missing a lot of stuff. When I spoke at London Business School, I said, I'll take questions. I spoke from, did the keynote speech from 12 to one. And then I said, I'll take questions. From 1 p.m., people, I said, I'll be outside. I don't want to disturb the main thing. Any questions? There was a crowd of top business people asking me questions. Literally from 1 p.m. It was the longest I ever talked. I stood up and talked from 1 p.m. to midnight. It was a 10 and a half, close to 11 hour talk. When I went home, it was the fastest I've ever fallen asleep and I literally slept for almost 24 hours because I had just flown in from Los Angeles. It was, it was when I did my TEDx talk in 2014. So the point that I'm trying to make by this is that the foundational things you need to know, one of them is what I just talked about now, business networking. Like where's that class in high school? Everything I told you, the psychology of people, the reciprocation techniques. Why wasn't this taught? Why were we only taught repetitively? Repetitively. I can tell you that Helena is the capital of Montana. How has that helped me in life? I could have just Googled it. Yeah, maybe in 1940 when Google didn't exist, we needed to memorize every unneeded fact, but we don't now. So now you use Google for all the unnecessary stuff and you store in your brain all the things that you have to have quick recall. You can't be Googling stuff when somebody walks up to you in a business networking setting and going, okay, let me Google reciprocation. You need to have that stored in the brain. So there's a big problem in the world that like the stuff we don't need to memorize, you're forced to memorize from age six to age 18, costing between $150,000 and $200,000 per student in the United States and most states of taxpayer dollars, real money going out, almost a quarter of a million dollars. If you just gave people that money and had a, a better way to educate people that was more efficient, most schools now are literally daycare. You think people are, you think kids are actually learning from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m.? You really think so? <laughs> My ass, go, let's go to a school together. You think people are really, most of the students are just, you think most kids can absorb? You know, most kids have horrible parents, horrible home situations, maybe no parents. They come to school hungry. They come to school tired. They come to school hyped up on sugar. You think they're learning the whole time? Why not just teach people for two hours? Then go have them do music, exercise, language, jujitsu, boxing, learn some piano. Learn Mandarin Chinese and Hindi. Those two languages, almost half the world speaks those two languages. Would a good school system that's properly updating it itself and not staying antiquated in the year, you know, 1643, our education system is not much different than 1800s and even 1700s. We don't have one room classrooms. We just have one big room. So... Whatever you do, not only rely on other people to learn, but rely on self-education. As Jim Rohn said, a formal education will make you a living, but self-education will make you a fortune. Not guaranteed, but if you look at people who made a fortune, whether or not they went to college is irrelevant. It's how much self-education and whether they became a learning machine. Some people ain't learning machine. Some people are one-time learners. 
In fact, most of the world goes to school, college from 18 to 22 years old. And literally, if you read the statistics, they don't read another nonfiction book from start to cover, I mean, from cover to finish. They don't do that for about four years after school. So they've taken all that outdated stuff. How much do you think 18-year-olds are learning as freshmen at Arizona State or at SDSU? Not to pick on Arizona or, or San Diego State. You think most 18-year-olds are going there just hyped up, ready to learn, just woo. This is a great use of the Pell Grant or whatever scholarships they're getting. No. Why do people have to only go to school from 18 to 22? I'd rather live in a world where everybody takes one college class, either online or in person, for the rest of their life. Why we have to try to condense stuff. Now, there's some things you must condense because after age 25, it becomes harder to learn a musical instrument and a language. So why not condense the goddamn, pardon my French, stuff before 25, primarily around the things you can only learn at 25? The death of common sense has come to this world. Not one person that I brought this up, whether they're in education, PhD, can give me one cogent, intelligent rebuttal to what I said. It's just like I'm here in New York. Why do they have one-way streets? I looked up the science. One-way streets are very inefficient. All I can, as far as I can tell, everyone driving in New York, and sometimes you got to drive. You can't always use a subway, although the subway is much better if you can, although it's pretty grimy. It's pretty amazing that, little side note, how does the New York subway system not have internet everywhere? When I go to Norway, when I go, when you go to England, they got the internet. Some parts, I'm like, New York City, the first or second wealthiest country in the uh, wealthiest city in the wealthiest country. We haven't figured out this. We also haven't just gone on Google, do one-way streets work. No, they cause more trouble. I just read a fascinating article on it. So change them. Just change it. All you have to do is put more lights on the backside of the poles that are already there so there's lights both ways. Ooh, that's so hard. We can put, Elon Musk can put man on the moon, but the New York (laughs) city infrastructure, well, that's too hard, Ty. Do you know what we'd have to do? We'd have to buy lights Get electricians to wire them. Ooh, oh my God, how do you do that? What are we in freaking, I feel like we're like literally 1901. We're like, maybe cars will work. Like this is, <laughs> uh, that's why I was saying, if you listen to what I'm saying, you will get a sense of all the opportunity there is in the world for people who can think through things. And that's why I emphasize the brain more than anything, more than hard work, more than grinding, more than hustling, more than, even though every one of those is important, you got to know the first things first. The first things first is how do you get the brain to work right? Your brain. I was talking at the beginning of this episode, I was talking about how to get the brain work correctly around business networking, you know? And now I'm expanding it to all things. It's important that you are able to think through problems. That's why before, on the, if you were listening this whole time, I had Dr. Uh, Professor um, Barry Schwartz on, who devoted his life to the question of why the heck do humans that have higher IQs than dogs and make stupider decisions than dogs? 
the more I meet around about, the more I learn about people, the more sometimes I'm like, wait a second. Like people, um, oops, well, that was a mistake. I accidentally blocked somebody that I didn't, I wasn't trying to block them. So they're gonna, <laughs> I think I have to switch from Twitter. Uh, Neuro 67, dope crib. Yeah, this is three floor penthouse in Soho. The education system does good as well. However, the financial literacy is absolute. Yeah, but the education, of course the education system does some well. It's not whether it does some good. You know that Muammar Gaddafi did some good. So did Saddam Hussein. You don't measure things whether by the they did anything good. You measure them in their totality. And you also measure them according to opportunity cost. So the, here's the question that I have. It's not whether anybody learns anything in the modern school system. It's given the four years that people spend at undergrad at college, given age six to age 18, that the average kid spends in first grade through high school, are we getting the maximum learning in that, in that time? Heck no. Most of the stuff that people learn between six and 18 they can hardly remember. Sure, they learn how to read and write, that's great, but they also knew how to do that in the 1800s. So where's the innovation? It's like we live in a world where everything's more innovative, like we have electricity. They didn't have that in the 1800s. So where's the innovation in education? Is that the one thing we're not allowed to innovate? We now have better cars than we did Model T cars that everybody got in a car wreck was dead. Now we got Volvos <laughs> protecting people. So do you want to live in that world where everything there's innovation around except zero innovation around college, uh, around public school system? What's the innovation? Oh, we put laptops in the school. That's not enough. We have iPads. That's not enough. You also put Coca-Cola in. Is that really an innovation or is that going backwards? <laughs> Just who, who do you, where do you think you had fatter kids in an 18... 50s, log cabin, one-room school house. Who was healthier, you think? Well, those kids didn't know as much about sanitation, but they also weren't 400 pounds at 15. When my grandma was growing up, she was born in 1917, there was zero obese people in whole countries. Zero. Unless they had massive and extremely rare gland problems. Zero. You could still go. I was in Scandinavia. There's basically zero obese people. So have we gone backwards or forwards? I'm going to reset Instagram. I'm going to go here in a second. But What's up, Instagram? I forgot you were there. <laughs> How do I get on top live when I'm not even talking? Is this top live thing a scam? <laughs> you just go. Uh, what is up, Dominican squad? says you're the best man. Yeah, we're just talking about the death of common sense. You want to make more money? A lot of people ask me how to make more money. You know, I took a hundred bucks, turned it into tens of millions. And I did that because I, somebody taught me common sense. And I don't always follow it, so sometimes I'm an idiot. But um, when I follow the advice my mentor gave me, it rarely messes up. When I don't follow... I mess up almost every time. So let me take three last questions. We're going to end. How many cars do you got, Buddy Ross 2, on Instagram? I have six right now. 
I have two Lamborghinis, an Aventador Roadster, and a Gallardo, and I have a Ferrari 458 Spider convertible. Got two Rolls Royce. One's a Dawn, those are convertible, blue one, and one's a Ghost with the Starry Night on it. And then I have one, what other car? Do, oh, I have a Maserati. Oh, yeah. Let's do a little giveaway, too. What should I give away? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah, where's a GoPro? I don't have a GoPro here, but I'm going to give away a GoPro to somebody who's been. I'm going to ask a question, see who's been on here the longest. How did you turn 100 bucks into millions? It's basically called bootstrapping. But bootstrapping means is you take 100 bucks, you do something entrepreneurial, you make money, you take the profit, and you reinvest it back in business. So now you have 200 bucks. Then you do the same thing, you make a profit of 200. So now you have 200, your old 200 plus new 200, now it's 400. You do that again, it's 800, and then it's 1600, and then it's 3200, and 6400. And the number just goes up. And so the next thing you know, it's millions. So it's a safer way than trying to make too much money too fast. Making money too fast is like running upstairs too fast. What usually happens? You fall on your face. Moonshine. I love people's comments. I feel like something's wrong with Instagram. Here's why. The most intelligent comments come on YouTube and YouTube. The intelligent but also idiotic are on Twitter. Facebook's in between. And Instagram, I don't know if it's the interface. They might need to work on it. People type bizarrely short and weird things like, yo, bro, that's like an Instagram Common sense. Does does Instagram only allow like two words? It's weird. It's weird. Oh, what about a restaurant fight with the owner? <laughs> um, yeah, I did a. If you guys saw my my Instagram, there was a. I went to this pizza place after One Oak. Went to One Oak after the Rihanna dinner. They had this after party there, so. I go to One Oak, we get out, we're hungry, we get pizza. I go in, they got two entrances. I go to the first entrance. They're like, you, you can't go here, this is exit only. So we go to the first end, uh, the other entrance. And we go in there, get our food. It's me, um, Smalls, and two girls, Jenny and Min. And we're eating, and somebody calls me, and it was too loud. So I walk out. I walk off the, out, of the, out the door number two, which is the exit. I'm on the phone for a minute, I hang up, I go back to eat my pizza and where everyone else was eating pizza. And the door is locked. So Smalls goes to open it and this bouncer dude of the pizza place comes running over, do not open. He reminded me literally of Dwight Schrute. You see that one where the office where Dwight Schrute is in charge because everybody else left. Ryan left, Michael Scott, uh, Michael Scott left and um, Jim left and Andy Bernard left. So he's like, when Jim is... He goes, when Michael is gone, Jim is in charge. When Jim is gone, Andy's in charge. And when Andy's in charge, I'm in charge. So uh, Stanley, the kind of chubby black dude, he just gets up and leaves. And Dwight's like, don't you leave. And he's like, or what? He goes, or else I'll tell on you. 
And so he just walks out. And so this guy, I'm back at this pizza place in New York, and the dude, <laughs> the guy's like, to Smalls is a big guy. He's actually sitting here somewhere. He's like 320 pounds, big dude, 6'5 or something. And, <laughs> and the guy's like, don't you open that. And Smalls just kind of opens it anyway. So I walk in, and this dude's tripping out. He's going, ah, uh, like, oh, you're not supposed to be in here. I go, dude, you're confused. I, I wasn't even mean. This never start off mean. I was like, hey, I said, um, this guy, I said, I just went outside a phone call. We already ordered food. We're all he eating at this table right here. And he wouldn't stop. He's like, no, well, you ain't coming in. So I said, I said, first of all, I'm already in. Second of all, what you gonna do? I was like, are you, I said to him, are you that guy that gets one inch of power and now you just trip? This guy was like, ah. So finally, he's, I said, I, I've learned, great thing to do in the, any situation where people are idiots. Pull out your camera. Nothing makes a moron more uncomfortable. So I just pulled out the camera and started filming. You can see it. It's on my Insta story right now. And the guy goes, he goes, I'm going to knock. Oh, he, he brought another guy over, a big, big dude. Not tall, but probably about, what do you say, smalls? He was about 350 pounds, like five foot nine. This big black guy came over. But the, that guy was cool. He didn't want to get in this. And so the guy says to him, knock his phone out of the hand. <laughs> and the guy was kind of like, the other security's like, I ain't knocking the phone out of this customer's hand. So I turned to him. I'm like, you knock it out. I was like, I dare you. He was this fat dude. Had, I said, then I got mad. Finally, I kind of blew my top. I said, dude, first of all, how are you going to be security and you ain't never been in the gym? He was like that donut this guy had, you ever seen a dude who's like, he's kind of a big guy. I would have said he's like 6'2". Six, six, he might have even been 6'3". Probably weighed about 260, but it was all belly. This guy had one of those bellies. I gotta just, I was just doing a Muay Thai upstairs before I did this. You give someone a solid body shot that isn't used to that, be careful. <laughs> you might kill them and go to jail. So I was, but the second thing, this dude had like 14 inch biceps. I'm going, how are you gonna be a bouncer with a belly? with a waist that's 44 inches and your biceps 14. That doesn't even go together. If you got a, if you got a 50, uh, 54 waist, you better have 20 inch biceps. So anyway, he didn't want to do anything because Smalls was there. So then he goes to me, he goes, oh, what's wrong with you? You're scared of your shadow. You have to walk around with another guy. And I said to him, wait a sec, dude. Two minutes ago, when this escalated, you walked like a bitch and got another security guard and walked over here. So I said, you got two and I got two. I said, you brought your man, I brought my man. What's That's called fair, man. <laughs> Look, this guy's complaining. I said, you're such a hypocrite. And finally, he's like, get out. <laughs> he just kept escalating. I was like, nope, I'm finishing my pizza. So he's like, I'm gonna call the police. I'm like, go ahead. First of all, this is in New York. What, or, what are you gonna put in? APB, we got a guy eating pizza. Is he doing anything wrong? Is he violent? Is he threat? No, he's eating pizza. Oh, I'm like, I'm sure all of New York Police Department is going to rush over here. By the time they get here, because I called the police once. I had a party up in my house in the Hollywood Hills, and some gangbangers came over and were like, because this girl got super drunk apparently, and she fell, and she, I don't know, she called her brothers, and these cholo dudes rolled up. I was like, uh-oh, we're all going to die. So I called the police at like 11 at night. This is about three years ago. I called the police at 11 at night. I'm like, yo, you got to come. 
these dudes are outside like threatening to shoot and they're like, okay. One hour later, still no police. I call 911, I'm like, yo, can you come? And they go, and they're like, um, a police officer was on the way, but he got a more important call, so he stopped going up the hill and came back down the hill. Finally, like three in the morning, I just called him. I'm like, forget it. I'll just take it. This is why you gotta own a gun in America. Sometimes you gotta take things in your own hand. But anyway, so this this fat dude at the pizza place that was all into his power, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the police. And I'm like, go for it, dude. I know how the police game works. You're gonna look like an absolute idiot when I get there, when the police get there and they're like, I'm sitting down at a table peacefully eating pizza with two females and one guy. So he didn't call the police, of course. And finally I just got bored and I left. But I was like, dude, don't tell me what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. Unless you have real authority. And I try to, you know, I don't tell other people what to do. I was, <laughs> which reminds me, another thing I don't like when people put their hands on you that you don't know. I went to this um, fundraiser in Beverly Hills right before I came here to LA and it was at this badass guy's house, one of the richest guys in LA. He's the guy who owns Ralph's or used to own Ralph's, the grocery store. He's got the, if you guys like cars, you got the Porsche, the 918. He's got the LaFerrari, the one and a half. It's actually about a two to $3 million Ferrari. And right when I walk in there, there was like, the ropes were open to like where you walk. So I go to walk and this lady, it was a girl, so I, I didn't really care, but I thought it was weird. She like puts her hand on my stomach and she's like, you can't come here. And I go, what do you mean? She's like, invisible line. That's actually what she said to me. I went, okay, let me get straight. You weren't standing here telling me and there's no real line. How would I know there's an invisible line? It was like that um, Adam, uh, Ben Stiller movie where they all have superpowers. Remember that? Mystery Men. If you haven't seen Mystery Men, it's such a funny old movie. And Mystery Men, one of the characters, they have like fake superpowers. And one of the superpowers was um, I can turn invisible, but only when nobody's looking. So if you look at me, I instantly turn visible. Anyway, that's how I thought with this line. I was like, what do you mean? This thing is inv invisible line. I told the lady, I just gave her advice. I was like, don't be putting your hands on people. It's not a good, I mean, she's a woman, so no one's going to freak out, but it doesn't seem like the world's most genius technique. All right, I'm going to go. Facebook is sucks today, boy. Yeesh. Okay. So I will talk to you. Oh, yeah, giveaway. We're giving away an iPhone. I'm uh, no, sorry, not an iPhone. A, what are we giving away? GoPro Silver. Let's do a GoPro Silver. What? Ding, 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 ding. Should I ask? Um, okay. F to reward you who stayed here a long time, who was the professor that was on the beginning of my first call? What is his full name? The professor that I interviewed... What? There you go. Sarah Weaver, Barry Schwartz. Congratulations, Sarah Weaver. She got it. For all you not subscribed to my you, my um, podcast, I just I think I got approved on on Spotify. So hopefully I'll be up on Spotify. There it is, that first one. Sarah Weaver. What is up? 
So yeah, subscribe to my podcast. I will talk to you guys soon.